0: 32 boiling hot counties. United by sweating people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland, beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. And we
1: today are going to be talking a lot about energy um, on this podcast. So it would be remiss of us not to mention the energy we need in the form of your three euro month to support this podcast on Patreon. Jump on your hoverboard and fly over to patreon.com forward slash unitedireland.com and plug three euro into our engine to keep us running. Or if you'd like to orbit close to space... For 10 minutes, for €3, euro, we could deliver that too. Yeah, because we are on the edge of space,
0: as we are on a planet. This week, we're going to be talking about how the Greater Dublin area became the European capital of, en- of energy-hungry data centres, and whether if this kind of development, um, if, if it's happening anyway, how do we ensure that they're sustainable instead of gobbling up all of our electricity and water like hungry, hungry hippos? Um, um, Andre, I, I haven't seen you in ages. I know. I don't know where I've been. Yeah, me
1: neither. I, I think I just went to ground after the Dublin Bay election, Dublin Bay South election and then I, I just... Don't want I just
0: never want to hear her talk about that again. <laughs> I feel like I overdid it. What do you mean? We only did about 13 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um... Are you we were before we came on air, dear listener, we were discussing various uh, heat related fantasies, none of which involve sitting in home offices, sweating, many of which involved water infused vodka and pool parties. Um, But we hope that you're all keeping cool. And uh, I don't know if anybody has any cooling hacks that they'd like to share with us. Go on. Uh,
1: One was, somebody was asked to go on TV to talk about cooling hacks and they're like, you know, stuff like putting your socks in the freezer. Who does that? Anyway, but my one is create cross winds in your house Mm. so that you have winds coming in multiple directions
0: and that actually, like my house is pretty cold, freezing today. Yeah, so if you're interested in this, just knock a a hole in your wall, um, smash a window, uh, take a few tiles off the roof, that kind of crap. Because this is just our standard weather now, really. Yeah. My one cooling hack uh, that I will share, which isn't mine, it's obviously from some person who's figured something out uh, that I've stared at for all of my life and never really got. You know, ice cube bags Yeah. And you know, so you fill them, you put them in the freezer and then you basically spend the next day and a half like wrestling the plastic off the ice cubes by popping them out. Yeah. That's not what you're meant to do. You're meant to crack the ice cubes, separate, just pull the little divisions like the lines of division and then it creates a bag and all of the ice cubes fall into it and then you have a bag of ice. Stop. Yes. Like... I wish you could see my mind being blown right now. It's the kind of thing that all these like Gen Z people on TikTok figure out with different things. And you're like, oh, right. Like Um, This is the way you wear a bobby pin. I've been doing it wrong my whole life. (laughs) Or how you open a banana the other way around and hold it with the little stem. Oh, my God. I never knew that either. Or how Chinese food, takeaway food containers actually fold out into a plate. You're not meant to eat them, like a little bucket of noodles. Okay, none of this is relevant, so let's get on with the State of the Nation. Apart from the uh, hellfire temperatures, Andrea, what is the State of the Nation? The State of the Nation is
1: that... Uh, 79% of adults are partially vaccinated and over 65% are fully vaccinated, which is great news. But there is still an issue that uh, nobody wants to talk about, which is fully vaccinated people getting the Delta variant, even though it's quite low. But that is obviously how vaccines work.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've sector. struggled from the get-go with how vaccines work and the whole herd immunity thing. So when I think but I get it like but when you hear stories of people who are double vaccinated, getting COVID, it's like, oh no, we all have to be vaccinated and it just lessens the more severe aspects of the illness and all that kind of stuff. Is
1: here's, that it? here's an analogy. I think of vaccinating like Pac Man. And that we are trying to eradicate all the virus by everyone getting vaccinated. And the more people who are vaccinated, the more people are eating up the virus and then it's all gone. Whereas if the virus isn't uh, eaten up, the ghosts come and get you, even if you are vaccinated. Because you're the eater of the vaccine.
0: You're stopping its transmission. Okay, so so we need more Pac-Man and indeed Ms. Pac-Man to come into the... um screen and gobble the things I
1: think herd immunity uh, has changed meaning during this pandemic and because it's being used as like we're going to have herd immunity and just give everyone the virus so that we can go party uh, from certain UK leaders whereas it's actually more so about getting more people eradicating the virus and not transmitting Mm -hmm. gotcha
0: the other part of State of the Nation, we've mentioned Nap this. Nappet, <laughs> do you want me on board? I'm here. <laughs> Amazing. Um, the other State of the Nation, it's hot. We're not going to keep talking about that. Um, indoor dining opening back up. 29th, I thought it was 26th or 29th. Looking like the 29th. And travel is back. I feel like, so, Like I, I just, once again, I'm just not engaging with these things, really. I don't necessarily want to eat indoors. I'm not going to eat
1: indoors and I'm not
0: going to travel for a while. Yeah.
1: Um, birthday, Murphy. That's when that's when life begins in my mind. That's October in
0: Berlin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, other okay. bits, yeah, just so ju- before we get into our main bit, um it is kind of mad looking over at the UK, isn't it? <laughs> like apart from it's I've just seems a bit
1: of a secret. You what? I've got a bit of a secret. Yeah, go on. I kind of haven't been watching anything or going into things or actually paying attention to anything.
0: This well, week. I've just been doing the, you know, the thing that I always do, check news sites every couple of hours or whatever. Um, but it's like every time you go onto The Guardian or something, there's some other farce unravelling. And like the even the whole thing of like the fact that Boris Johnson was isolating the day of their Freedom, Freedom Day. Day and just pol- calling all these like politicizing all of these uh, f- just like calling this it's like George W. Bush stuff, you know, like Mission Complete and all this kind of stuff. And then um, seeing the clubs back open and there's fest- festivals on this weekend and yet hearing loads of stories about from friends in the UK who know loads of people who are getting COVID or the Delta variant, whatever you want to call it. And you just kind of feel like either it's going to go to complete shit again over there or like maybe everything will be fine and then that's really confusing. <laughs> um, I think that whenever
1: I look at UK politics, I just feel like they're playing a game and it's very frustrating, especially with the, the Northern Irish Protocol stuff that was announced today and mm. um. I just feel like they're, you're just like, how can you take this? And I don't mean the Northern Irish Protocol. I mean, how can you take those idiots seriously in anything they say or do? Yeah. So I get so frustrated. So I just got, I'm kind of like, oh, go away now.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And then there was like the Dominic Cummings interview. And obviously he's completely untrustworthy. I don't know. Feels like,
1: r- really just, crazy over there. I just feel like I'm watching an episode of, um, what's that program with your man and your woman? Veep, The Thick of It, The Office, Friends, Breaking (laughs) Bad. This could go on for a while. He was a sexual predator. She became the president, blonde hair. Um, Uh, Kevin Spacey, House Cards. House Cards. I feel like I'm watching House Cards unfold because I feel like everything is a considered uh, strategic move, like Dominic Cummins, whatever he's doing, is like for the next step to unravel, to bring... Boris Johnson to just as like, oh, I just don't trust them one bit. And that's the whole point. That's what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Um. Anyway, Godspeed uh, over the Irish Sea and of course uh, in the North.
1: The funny thing is though that the people who live over there who are delighted to get their freedom back are like, woohoo, we love living
0: here. So there you go. There you go. Hope it all works out. Okay, so now we're going to talk about... This mad kind of thing that's happening a little bit under the radar, but getting increasingly over the radar or in the radar or on the radar. It is the radar. Data centres. So in recent years, Ireland has become a hotspot uh, for data centres. These are kind of massive developments, some the size of three football pitches and bigger. They don't create many jobs because it's mostly maintenance, apart from the construction of them, obviously. Um, But Ireland's mild climate uh, and low seismic activity is a draw for for these data centres setting up here, alongside our existing relationships with many big tech companies. But recently, Airgrid, uh, which runs the National Grid, and others are warning about their energy use and their water use. The average data centre uses between half a million and five million litres of water a day, which is on par with many large Irish towns. And it's estimated by the time the decade is up, up to one third of all the electricity we uh, produce in Ireland will be used by these data centres. So to talk about this kind of hidden industrial boom in Ireland, uh, the sustainability concerns and what some solutions potentially are uh, to make it not be bad, basically, we're joined by Dr. Patrick Bresnahan. Now, Patrick is a lecturer at the Department of Geography at Maynooth University. He is a smart man. He has a PhD from Trinity and an MPhil from Cambridge. He works across um, urban political ecology, uh, wind energy stuff, um, various science technology studies, uh, various environmental concerns, all that kind of stuff. And so we're delighted to have him enlighten us uh, on this issue. Thanks for joining us, Patrick.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me and thanks for the introduction.
0: There's around oh no, there's now seventy data centers operational across Ireland. I think there was an increase even over the last year, uh, even though construction was so limited. Um, they increased by twenty or twenty five percent their growth. Amazon, Facebook, TikTok, all the companies that people know they're they're kind of big players in that stuff here. But first of all, what do data centers actually do? <laughs>
2: um, well, I. I'm not. I should say that I'm not a, an engineer. I'm not yeah. a, a, like a data expert. But they essentially they store all our data. So the data for um, you know for state agencies, um, but also or for for institutions like universities, uh, you know, large businesses. But also, you know, every time you tweet, every time you save a picture of the cloud, every time you stream something on Netflix. All of that data exists somewhere, and that place is often commonly called the cloud. And one of the, um, I guess, the nodes of the cloud, the kind of material sort of structures of the cloud, is the data center. Mm. The data center is this big shed, a big warehouse full of servers, which is just like our computer, just much bigger. Um, and they just, they store all the data. Um, and they're obviously, you know, controlled and Managed through a whole set of algorithms, uh, you know, um, that are are sort of sorting the data, uh, channeling the data, um, you know, and also increasingly getting rid of of data that is not useful. And so that's a kind of a, a big area that I think, you know, the data center industry is looking towards as it's coming under pressure. Um, you know, to do something about the amount of data that's stored and the water and energy that requires. That the more efficient, in a sense, the algorithms can be in sort of getting rid of like sort of waste data. I guess the less needs to be stored. But you know, that's all uh, 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 kind of you know speculative at the moment.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So it sounds like a big electronic library to me, but. If anything, I've learned about computers is that computers and water don't mix. So why is there so much water being used?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think the thing about the library maybe, I mean, the thing that is about the data center is that, you know, when you look at it or you think about it, it is this block that is on, on land. And so there's a sense in which it's like somehow discrete. But actually, it is underpinned by all of these networks, which are the, the, the grid that brings in the energy, the water the, through the pipes, and also fiber optics, which obviously brings the data from you know, America, for Europe or whatever, to a data center that's in Malharad or wherever. Um, and the water and energy are required mostly for cooling. So obviously, there needs energy for the computers to work, for, the, for, the, for, for them to do what they do. But a lot of the energy and a lot of the water, most of the water, in fact, is used to cool the servers because they get very hot.
0: So that makes their energy needs very different to other kind of industrial buildings, right? Like every kind of big factory or big industrial building has specific uh, energy needs. But I guess these guys seem to really suck um, water and electricity, which is an issue when we don't have the best record with um. Uh, water infrastructure for sure Mm. and also you know ever since i started as a reporter years ago there's kind of occasionally these stories about like our grid is reaching capacity we need to do more stuff there will be blackouts and it just how do you feel as somebody kind of works in 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 you know obviously in in kind of across loads of different uh disciplines but how do you feel about their energy and water consumption as entities?
2: I feel bad, and I feel, I feel angry. Um, you know, it's colossal. I mean, the figures that you cited at the beginning, it seems there's more and more reports coming out uh, about this, even though it's not new. I, um, I had a guy from Air Grid come to talk to my class about five years ago to students, like undergrad students, and he said that when he started in AirGrid in like the late 80s, early 90s, they were developing the grid around the growth of towns, like Kilkenny, Drada, you know, wherever, Athlone. And that was about population and, like, the needs that people had, housing, whatever, streetlights. But he said in the last 10 years or so, since the late 2000s, they are developing the grid around data centers and also other large industrial users. Intel is also huge, uses huge amounts of water and energy. I mean, it gets less flack because I guess it employs a lot more people. And it's so embedded in in, in sort of Ireland Inc. and and all that. But, you know, there is a long history uh, of um, Ireland and the IDA, particularly, attracting um, foreign companies to locate here because of the resources that we have and the infrastructures they build for them. So going back to the 70s, Pfizer came here, got water infrastructure built down in Cork, you know. there was land banks put aside. There's a great quote from like a Limerick councillor, I think in the 70s, talking about the need for Ireland to, to um, create water banks for foreign companies because they needed water for their, for their industry. So what you have now is in a sense, it's like the data centres are just part of a much longer history of, um, you know, multinationals, um, you know, being drawn here because they can use and benefit from resources like water and wind or whatever other energy source and the infrastructures and why that is so um, so sort of you know not just contentious but why it makes me angry is that these are public these are these are public infrastructures they are public resources um, and when he, when you, you talk about the water I think it's interesting is that the water charges uh, protest back 2015-16 one of the things about that was not just that people you know got so angry and came out on the streets in such large numbers. But there was also a sense in that campaign that people became much more knowledgeable about water infrastructure, mm. you know, and they, they became very like sharp to the fact that like smart meters were all about getting individuals to save water when in fact, you know, our model of development has large industries that use huge amounts of water as well as the pipes that leak it. And I would like it if something similar happened with the energy, you know, uh, you know, uh, and the more of this stuff's coming out in, in the media, but it hasn't yet, for, you know, for whatever reason, energy doesn't have as much of a, doesn't have as much of attraction, traction, I guess, even though it was public, like our history of ESB, you know, Bord Na you know, these incredibly, um, you know, what would you, what would you call them? These kind of, these histories of much greater state involvement, kind of public good, which have been eroded. And like Bord Gosh was privatized 2012, around the time Irish Water was kind of being set up, And there was nothing in the news about it. There was very Mm. attention. So I I think maybe the data centers are starting to focus this a bit, and maybe people will start to become more engaged with that, and it will become more of a political issue.
1: Why do we have so many of them here, though?
2: Well, Una said at the beginning this thing about the climate. um, And that's often rolled out as the the reason that our cooler climate means that less water is required, less energy is required to keep them cool. But that's a bit of a red herring. I mean, Mm. obviously. It is cooler here than in other places. And also the main thing is it's, it's mild or moderate, so it doesn't go very hot, although obviously today is very hot. and doesn't go very cool. But the, the reason is, like I just said, I mean, the IDA has been incredibly effective at attracting foreign direct investment to this country. And they saw in the mid-2000s, I guess, partly because tech industries are already based here, that data centers was a, a growing area. And they did a lot of work to... Um, you know, talk to, uh, engage with data center providers. Uh, Amazon Web Services is the biggest one, but there's lots of others to come here. And they did that in the same way they've always done it, you know, through planning, through uh, providing land, um, through, you know, the, the, the infrastructures and so on. So, I mean, that's that's the real reason. It's because IDA in Ireland have been so good at attracting foreign direct investment.
0: Um, there's been a massive um, plan for one outside Anastasia And, uh, but there was also an intervention or not an intervention, but well, maybe kind of an intervention by Antashka uh, with regards to one outside Drogheda, you know, that has maybe momentarily stalled us. When we look at the Cluny and Mulhudder Mulhudder development, like absolutely ginormous, you know, and you kind of kind of look at these places and go, God, is this the best we can do with our land? You know, (laughs) put these, put these things here. But one of the things that they talk about, the tech companies talk about Um, is about like net zero and offsetting and all renewable and all that kind of stuff. Before we get into this weirdness of tech companies buying and developing wind farms in Ireland, uh, what does that kind of, that jargon actually translate to in real life? Like, are they using renewable energy? What does like net zero or carbon neutral or whatever actually mean in real terms right now with these data centres?
2: Yeah. Well, it's obviously offsetting. Uh, and net zero is relatively, you know, new term, but offsetting has been around since the 90s. Mm. This idea that you offset your, or even the 80s, um, the idea that you offset your the damage you cause, you know, through emissions. Initially, it was around water pollution and, um, you know, effects to sort of even to rivers that happened through various de- developments and how you could offset that by, you know, improving some landscape or doing river restoration somewhere else, and so it's very much like connected to a way of, of quantifying and sort of calculating and exchanging one bad for one good, you know? Um, and so if they offset, say, for example, they use, uh, I don't know, X amount of energy, they can offset that energy, i.e. offset the, the, the coal or the, the, the gas that goes into providing that energy by investing in wind um, Uh, uh, energy projects or solar energy projects or afforestation or any number of other things which are sort of seen as good and green and so on. Uh, The problem with that, there's two main problems with it. The the first is additionality is what it's called. So for example, if Amazon invests in a wind energy project in Scotland, the question is, would that wind farm have been built anyway if Amazon hadn't done it? Mm. And particularly with wind, it is becoming much more viable economically There are a lot of investors looking to get into it um so it's 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 probably a fairly safe bet to say it would be built uh anyway so what are they actually adding you know nothing they're just they're buying it directly and the second one i would say is transparency because like you say offsetting zero carbon what do they mean they're thrown around a lot these companies are very good at greenwashing you know they have big pr companies resources I've had students a number of years, because students are often interested in this stuff, and I always tell them, okay, if they're going to do a research project, it's like, why don't you try to find out what that means? You know, just do research, just start with the internet, read articles, just go down that rabbit hole, you know, try to establish, like, exactly what happens in that offsetting scheme. And I know they're undergrads, and it's not like a a PhD thesis, but almost all the, no, the whole time, they can't get very far. They get like, Mm -hmm. three steps. But that's not transparent. So, you know, this stuff matters and it should be not just clearer to follow, but easier for people, citizens to know what that means. You know?
0: And about the wind farms, like what's the story with them buying and uh, building wind farms here? Because I was shocked, like when I learned whenever it was a couple of years ago or something, that this was actually happening, that Ireland, you know, was trying to be all renewable and stuff and 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 build you know wind farms, which are complicated things, whether it's offshore energy or whatever, yet yeah, they were being bought or like the whole deal was being done with Amazon or with Facebook. And then watching the videos of that like massive bog peat slide in, in Donegal and Mean Bog, which is a wind farm that that Amazon are uh, wholly involved in. I think they've they've basically bought the whole thing. Like it it seems very odd to me that considering how we conceive of energy, that it's actually like the Facebook wind farm or the TikTok wind farm or whatever. And like you say, that word additionality, which is really useful. What What's the deal with that happening? Is that basically every wind farm now in Ireland is is going to, you know, act as a giant sur- computer fan?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is kind of shocking. And I guess like, I guess... I, I guess... A lo- I mean, you'd like to think that a lot of people, their kind of, their eyebrows would raise at least at the, the the thought of these, like, already incredibly powerful companies starting to buy up uh, energy um, projects and wind energy projects. But it's not just them. I mean, wind energy, you know, especially over the last sort of 10 years, I'd say, the ownership of, of, of wind farms is increasingly being sort of consolidated as this new asset, uh, you know, um, that is bought and sold and traded by global companies. So they don't care about mean bog, wet, um, mudslide or peat slide. You know, that's one farm. One wind farm is part of a much bigger portfolio. It's not like some small Irish wind developer who's building up like three turbines and generating electricity and like making money out of that. It's a completely, you know, different political economy. And I, I think that this gets to the point I was saying about like, you know, people were so rightfully upset about the thought of our water infrastructure being privatized but what is happening with our wind uh, energy and other aspects of the grid I mean battery storage is the other big area that we need for our wind energy because it's so volatile but it's all it's entirely privately owned and when you have the likes of Facebook and Amazon who are buying them up for their own needs you see this sort of you know corporate control over our energy system at a time when it really needs to be publicly owned and controlled because that is the you know the only way we're gonna you know develop a, a, an energy you know system that is low carbon, that is just, is fair, you know, that can solve some of these problems. So it, it it definitely like you start with the data center and you start sort of you know moving out from the data center and following these steps like you're doing and you start to see that this is like not a good picture that's taking shape. And so then the question is like, where is it being, you know, blocked, objected to? Where is there resistance? Um, you know, and how can that be amplified? That's how I would um, that would, that's how I would come at it. Um,
0: you you mentioned battery storage there for turbines or something. Like, what's that? I don't understand that.
2: So, you know, the real problem really with renewables, well, at least with wind and solar and wave, if it gets developed, is that it's not constant. So, you know, the amazing thing about coal and oil and gas and fossil fuels is it's like all of this dead organic matter that's already got, it's it's stored there and it can just be burnt and we can release it whenever we want. Like that's the industrial revolution. That's what's so amazing about it. But wind, it's abundant, but some days it doesn't blow, some days it does blow. And so the question is, what do you do when it doesn't blow? Uh, At the moment, it has to be supported by fossil fuels. There needs to be generators. But the idea is that into the future, we will have batteries that can, when there's lots of wind, we can store it. When there's no wind, that can be released. So, you know, all of the kind of effort, you know, of technologists, engineers, and a lot of companies is in developing better battery technology. At the moment, these battery storage arrays, they're called, which are being built in in, in Ireland, are the smaller ones, at least, are, are made out of lithium which is uh, the same as in your phone or in your computer. They're lithium batteries, and lithium is a, a rare earth element. It has to be uh, taken out of the ground. It, is in, it, is, it causes devastation. A lot of it comes from the Andes. So it's another kind of mining, another kind of extraction that is sort of necessary for you know uh, uh, renewables, um, which are not renewable if they rely on this non-renewable mineral. But there also it, there's a risk of fire. So if these batteries, mm. are, if lithium goes on fire, it's almost impossible to put out. So what you see in, 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 in counties, this is where my work has been going at the moment: Rosscommon, Sligo, Leitrim, Donegal, um, Mayo. They're already being built, but there's a, a lot more uh, proposals in for battery storage arrays, and there are objections going in. But you can imagine, you know, a, a guy I spoke to not long ago in Leitrim, a, a planning permission went in in the field beside him was for a battery storage array. He was a chef, and it was only that it was locked down. He wasn't working so hard, so he did loads of research. He has all these files about lithium, and he's done all this stuff. And, you know, he doesn't want to live by this big battery storage facility that's just there. Um, and he's put in an objection, and who knows what will happen. But that is owned by um, Brookfield Renewables that's just been bought by Orsted, which is a Danish company. They own lots of wind farms. They're the biggest offshore wind energy company in the world. And now they have this little project planned for a half acre in a Leitrim field, you know? So the kind of relationships between these things are mind blowing. And I mean, in in the work that I'm doing, where you see people learning about this, educating themselves and trying to stop it, you know, within a certain set of like parameters, are those people living beside these infrastructures. And the same, I would say with the wind farms, you know, there's been a lot of opposition. It doesn't get much media coverage. It tends to be dismissed. But they have, um, you know, very often they have much more insightful critiques of this stuff than, you know, a lot of academics that I know, uh, journalists. So I think it's something that's worth following, um, mm. particularly as the tech companies get involved.
1: Um, but, like, we obviously have the, our government and Greens and Power who are having, getting, the, Climate bill over the line and our climate commitments and offsetting and all that jazz, but the, it seems that the data centers are going to keep growing and multiplying so like where's the disconnect and how do we kind of what do we do about that
2: yeah it's a it's a big question I would say with the green party and you know a fairly large chunk of mainstream environmental organizations and uh, groups um the the, the kind of The vision of the future is one which is um, it's often called in in academia ecological modernization. So it's basically like we substitute dirty fuels for clean fuels. We substitute, you know, uh, you know, petrol based cars for electric cars. We substitute um, factories for data centers. It's about moving to an economy. that's all about services, information. And that very much overlaps with the kinds of um, uh, stories put forward by, Tech companies um, and other companies around the cleanness and greenness of what they do. Mm. But if you if you get through that um, that kind of sh- sh- shimmer, that kind of sheen, you see that these things are not clean and green, and that like data centers, they don't look like big belching factories. You know, they they don't look like the you know Eden Dairy like peat peat burning energy plant like which we've grown dislike because it's seen as like Dirty, but they—they—they they, they are, and you know, more and more people are being able to show this by showing the amount of energy they use. And even though it's electricity, that electricity is still predominantly uh, generated from fossil fuels. And if we try to move towards wind energy to replace that, we're talking about massive industrial wind farms, battery storage arrays, overhead pylons, grids. It doesn't come without its costs. Is the point? Like none of this stuff is like immaterial the cloud you know so the, the the question can't just quickly or easily be substituted by one type of industry for another one type of technology for another there's harder questions to be asked and I you, you know where the disconnect is, is I'd say like the harder sort of points that are being made is like needing to really ship to turn the ship around you know uh you know thinking about downscaling uh energy use I mean, for me, the the, the big thing about energy is about reducing energy, not substituting, you know, wind for for coal or wind for for oil. I mean, you know, we talked about data centers by 2030, but the plan is to have a million electric cars on the road by 2030. But like, where's that electricity going to come from? And each of those cars has all sorts of um, materials like, you know, steel. It has all sorts of. Uh, batteries in it, the lithium that we were talking about. So it's just basically like what the, the Green Party seem to be moving towards is like everything kind of stays the same, we just rely on technology. Mm. So, and that's just, it doesn't really fly. Um,
0: yeah, the electric cars thing of like like you say, replace all of these cars and let's make loads of more new cars. <laughs> and let's pl- it,
1: it seems like the only solution is degrowth. Would you like...
2: Yeah, I mean, I basically in a word, it's de- I mean, degrowth, is a, it's, it's not that palatable for loads of people. But like if you look at the Green New Deal, which is not degrowth, but a lot of their policies would be degrowth. You know, like, for example, investing in childcare uh, and care work is about degrowth. You know, that kind of work doesn't, isn't carbon intensive, it's not energy intensive, it's not, but it's not work we invest in. But that requires the state to invest in that. You know, it's not, it's not private companies. Retrofitting, like large-scale retrofitting, you know, that reduces energy use. But again, it's expensive. It's the state. Private companies aren't going to do that. We can't even build houses, you know, relying on developers. So what are we going to, in terms of building the best houses, there's zero carbon out of, like, the best materials? It's, like, large-scale state investment. And I think that's the thing, is degrowth is often seen as a bit, like, Oh, like, you know, small communities doing their thing. It's kind of niche. It's counterculture. But that's a very um, simplistic and reductive uh, account of, of the degrowth movement and the way in which I think degrowth ideas really can overlap with, like, eco-socialism or Green New Deal or, you know, a lot of these, like, f- for all the bad stuff we're talking about, a lot of good ideas that are circulating, you know, mm. a lot of really good policy um you know, ideas and and so on, to just take it it in a different direction. But I mean, the thing with Ireland is it's so much geared towards, um, you know, large, powerful corporations and they are the ones that are shaping things. And until that changes, it's hard to
0: see it. But speaking of... Sorry, go on, Andrea. No, you go first. Well, I think we were probably going to ask the same thing of like speaking of the good ideas and the solutions, like have you seen anything um, in this sphere? Because often like, or technology or something emerges and people go, this is great. And then they're like, oh shit, look at all these terrible side effects of this or consequences of it. Let's start this other technology that kind of solves them. And I've been looking at different solutions that are, um, you know, mooted or startups in this sphere of like uh, more, you know, instead of using water to cool things, actually you can use this like high-tech lubricant that doesn't you know that is way better or actually we can recycle the water and then it can be hot water and that can be pumped around the place and and that kind of stuff have you seen anything in that sphere that that if this data has to be stored somewhere how can like are are there is there anything interesting or anything logical that isn't just a gimmick or a way to make money for other people that you've seen that could be that could be helpful if we do have all these data centers
2: yeah i mean i don't want to be too yeah a a kind of like everything's bad except the revolution. You know, I do think that there are some smaller... Meet your
0: like- sisters, Patrick.
2: <laughs> 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 I mean, one thing that uh, is kind of of interest is di- district heating. So they've tried to do it in, um, I think it is in the Mulherded one. I'm not exactly sure, but there's, a, there's an experiment with it. But this is the idea that data centers produce so much heat, instead of it just dissipating, there is a way in that which that heat could be used to heat houses in the locality. So that's being kind of developed quite a lot, I think, in Scandinavian countries, Denmark and so on. But like, you run into lots of problems, like you say. Um, the main one being the, who who pays for it, because you're talking about quite serious infrastructure like to, to deal with that. And the one in Dublin, as far as I can see, the tab is being picked up by, I think it's South Dublin County Council. So it's like... I mean, for me, it's that the, the, the tech companies should be paying for these things, mm-hmm. bit, like the renewables or whatever, like the great ex- extension. At the very least, they should be paying for all of this, a lot of this infrastructure, a lot more for it. And they should be paying a lot more tax. Because you've got it double ways, right? They pay low corporation tax right. and benefit from resources you know, uh, and the infrastructure. So at the very least, in the context of Ireland, I think that that is a fairly minimal demand a lot and of people... might
1: leave us and then we'll be poor. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and I, saw, I saw your article even in the Irish Times in the comments. It's just so predictable, you know? It's just like uh, all, all writing that. It's like, oh, if you do that, they'll go, you know? Um And the other argument they make is if you don't have them here, they'll be somewhere else, which is like, mm. it's like the IFA argue about the cows. And uh it's just, it's, it, it's, it's, Disheart, yeah, disheartening
0: well i think people who like because oftentimes when i write about things like this i get that exact response like you know well what do you what do you what do you think we should do blah, blah blah and it's like i think you like people who think in that way you know all the tech companies will abandon us and we'll have no work or whatever i think those people should think about what we should do because we have to get to a position where we're actually thinking about what we want and what we need in this country, rather than have having massive corporations impose what they want. And before we've even realized it, they've completely shaped all of the policy and uh, are like taking over vast tracts of land to, you know, have these massive buildings that like are barely staffed essentially um, so I think it's more about like, what would you, like people need to be more imaginative and have a bit more kind of self-belief and be less myopic and consider, you know, is this genuinely the best we can do? <laughs> you know, is is this situation with the data centers, is this our best fucking idea here? <laughs> you know, because it's clearly, uh, you know, feels like a very, very ropey cul-de-sac. Um, but to to finish on a on a on a positive maybe I'll
1: ask another question oh yeah go on so if we're talking about degrowth being the main thing solution here and like I'm a big fan of degrowth when it comes to data um, or data um, to br- make degrowth happen like we've got like I I know I've got so many email addresses full of like spam that I don't read and think can we do anything ourselves to make a difference by deleting content or uh, not using as much data. Like obviously that seems like the safest thing to do.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good question. I think that, I, I mean, I, I don't, I can't, I'm not gonna, I, I, I could send you some stuff maybe where people have tried to develop like certain tactics, there's things that you can put on your, 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 your browser so stuff you haven't seen in a while gets deleted you know have a kind of an app thing, and obviously you know you can watch less Netflix and stuff like that but I think what 's interesting about that is that this discussion about um you know reducing data use for all sorts of reasons like it's also that it's it's not good for our mental health a lot of the time to be on these things um But I think that it's similar to what's happened with, um, you know, carbon footprints and and plastic. Like it's been around for a long time, since the 90s again, this idea of of individual behavioral change and individual individual choice. And on one hand, that's something that is very much pushed by industry and, and so on. It's like put the responsibility on individuals. But I do think... The other side of it is that it is good to reflect on these things you know and to to think about the kind of ethics of what we do and our connection between what we do to you know lithium in latin america for example by not buying a phone you know getting a a a repair done for example getting your phone repaired is actually very good for the planet and and also that the supply chain of people who are dealing with the e-waste of these phones and so on so that's all good but I think it's also important not to lose sight of the fact that like Netflix, we all know you've finished one show and you've got 10 seconds to get out of the seat before another show is, is, is put on for you. That's been chosen for you algorithmically. And that is the same as going to the supermarket and it's cheaper to buy two meals instead of one because that's the food industry that wants more food is sold. And that idea of like driving consumption that is their like modus operandi like if you're a business that sells stuff you want to sell more stuff and you want to sell it cheaper and faster and data is no different to us being sold you know fizzy drinks or any of the other stuff that we've become so critical about since the 80s and 90s so I think like pushing back against those platforms too that just like crowd our lives with their stuff and make us buy their stuff is also something that has to happen at a collective level, um, you know, uh, you know, with policy again. But um, I think it's, I think it's really interesting that, that that, that the relationship between degrowth and data is starting to get more discussed because usually degrowth is around like more obviously material things, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, how we reduce or, or slow down. yeah but
0: I think making the connection between data actually having a material outcome um, is is an important one for people to make thank you so much Dr Patrick Bresnan for enlightening us uh, about this issue which is going to become more and more um, visible I think in this country in particular now that what the greater Dublin area is the European capital of data centres that nobody noticed happening over the past couple of years I really appreciate your time
2: no problem thanks for chatting uh, and having me on
0: Andrea, a lot of people are getting in the sea at the moment uh, to cool down and stay healthy (laughs) and just, you know, build community and look at the sunset. Haven't I been out twice this week myself? But what is getting in the sea for you this week? Um, Jeff Bezos
1: and obviously we've many reasons for him to get in the sea. Obviously his trip to space was absolutely in bits, given that we're starting to burn. We are burning. The sea is burning. Uh, but I just thought there was two things that were absolutely in bento bits um, from on his behalf, apart from the space stuff, was the uh, the thing he said about, thanks to the staff of Amazon and the customers of, of Amazon who paid for this. How is he that disconnected? And did he say that on purpose? I don't tr- I'm don't i very cynical this week. I'm literally like, did he say that on purpose to rile everyone up? That literally you're making your staff piss in bags so they don't uh, miss their orders.
0: And um, smashing unions and just being generally shit.
1: Uh, and like just the way it was worded. We're like the staff of Amazon, you paid for this. Fuck off, dickhead. And then... As if that wasn't bad enough, then he came back with the suggestion that actually we offload all our junk and our pollution into space, and it was almost like he was going on a on a fine on a market research mission to see can we actually like just fuck all our shit into space. So it was like capitalism is going to capitalize on space and wrecking a full uh, solar system, <laughs>
0: and also the cock rocket, like there's no point to satire anymore. Like, they're just not even trying. It's like, let's just make it look like the Dr. Evil cock rocket. Um, I think if there's one thing more embarrassing and pathetic than Jeff Bezos, it's probably like, you know, he has loads of people around him who work with him who've like, who are totally indoctrinated into thinking that this is like the coolest thing ever and are totally team Bezos. And I just cannot, like, imagine hanging out with those people. Imagine hanging out with those people who are just like, oh my God, what an amazing thing we did. And this is so brilliant. And we're at the forefront of exploration and everything. It's like, I just, I would, I would hate hanging out with those people.
1: <laughs> they don't want to hang out with you anyway. No, they so do not. It's okay. Um, Bezos, Don P don C. La, don la, don la, no, Don C. Don't la mare, don't la Don
0: There we go. Get in the sea. Okay, now it's time for it's bananas.
1: Oh my god, it's been it's been a time since we've done all this, hasn't it? God, mm-hmm. we, really, we really got sucked in to that Dun South election. <laughs> Oh, we had a ball. Uh, we, they were the best of times. Um, <laughs> what is bananas this week? So it is absolutely bananas that two things. Uh, firstly, the Brent Thomas car park, uh, from a freedom of information, it came to light that they threatened legal action against the city of Dublin for daring to ask them to turn right <laughs> out of their car park and let St. William Street be pedestrianised. They would take every par- every... P- piece of uh, power they could against Dublin City Council for trying to do such a a crazy thing and ruin their lives. Like, are they on gear? Like, what? It's absolutely and I'm so glad to see so many people are writing about it. Uh, It was was all over the papers. It was the front of the Sunday Times. It was uh, David McWilliams' column the day before. It's like Come on, guys. Cop on. It's it's not a good fashion look, Brent
0: Thomas. It's doing them a lot of uh, damage, I think, to their reputation. And they don't even
1: run it. Like, obviously, it's like, it provides the car parking for their facility. So it is like under their name and under their like patronage. But like, they don't even own it. And like, They're getting, but apparently, anyway, I'm not going to... Well, it's a
0: problem for them because people call it the Brian Thomas car park, so... And their high senior management came out to uh, talk to, like, the streets are for people people
1: when they were uh, protesting on it on the street to try and uh, get them to stand down and stuff. So they are definitely involved. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) But anyway, come on and do you know it's really frustrating because St. William Street's so stunning obviously I know I don't speak about how much I like it a lot but you'd be walking down or crossing the road and because everyone's out in the street and chatting and talking you forget it's a, there's going to be a car and then next of all a car comes flying you and you're like fuck this isn't a pedestrianised area now obviously that's my own issue for getting lost in the moment and <laughs> really enjoying my day but
0: how um, very dare you but yeah, come on. Get I tried go. to go into Brian Thomas there a few weeks ago to, what was I trying to buy? I was trying to buy, I was going to buy a candle. Okay. And um, I went, it was going, just gone in the side entrance and this guy was like, are you shopping in Hermes? And I was like, no. He's like, no, you have to go around the front. And I felt like, I that's, felt. Uh, that's COVID related. I know. Yeah. But I just feel like. I felt lesser than. I mean, obviously those are those are my own issues. <laughs> um, at, at uh, but um, you know that's totally unrelated and it's not their fault. But
1: you know that's just something that happened to me. <laughs> also, buying things doesn't make you more of a person. Let's remember that. Yes. But anyway, the other thing, so they can get in the seat to start. But also, uh, a big. uh, investigation uh, not investigation a big story was done by CNN um as part of their features on highlighting uh, inequalities um between the women and men of the world and one of it was a big piece they did on how athletics uh, women in athletics with high testosterone are not being allowed to compete in the olympics and there is so many ways that I can say that's in bits and, in, and absolutely bananas and how we are such a scientific world and that we can't get our head around the fact that there are different levels of testosterone, different uh, chromosome makeups, there are different uh, intersex elements of people. And if we're going to get into "you are a woman, you are a man," and this is what defines a woman for to play sport, well, then we are in big trouble.
0: Yeah, they should. Well, all these sporting organisations should probably focus more on uh, sorting out doping and corruption. Um, that would that would help uh, <laughs> equality in sports. <laughs> that would help. And now it's time for our fave bits. Well, it's been a while since we've done our little fave bits, so I feel like they're going to be jam-packed, Andrea. Man, um, every time it gets to ja- fave bits, I'm
1: literally like, oh, God, I don't like anything. What do I do at my time? It's literally outrageous. But then I found some, so here we go. That's a great story. Uh, I had a few podcasts that I'm listening to at the moment that I'm really enjoying. Uh, maintenance phase uh, debunks health myths that are sold to us as often fads which is very good very interesting very factual very funny uh, and very entertaining so yeah go for gold on that one um my therapist ghosted me continues to be absolutely gas joanne and vogue um are gas bitches at the best times but they really have struck gold i feel with this podcast um and then finally For my inner namaste, I'm obsessed with Eckhart Tolle and his stories of being present, of uh, disposing of ego, of living your best life um, all the time. And he's got a new series called Essential Teachings. And it really is a great listen. And I would encourage everyone to listen to that because I think the world would be a much better place. And that would really suit me. Uh, I watched... Uh, Halston late to the game but Jesus Christ it's absolutely brilliant um, I really enjoyed it and
0: no it, just refuse I you, refuse you hate your man though Ryan Murphy I don't hate him I don't hate you anyone hate I just don't like his work uh, well I absolutely adored it I
1: wished I was in Studio 54 extolling the virtues of pleasure all around me um, I mean you know, I, I also want that but I don't need to watch a Ryan Murphy show for that <laughs> did you watch it? No. Okay, well then.
0: I, I'm to this fight now. Uh, There's a good documentary on Halston from a couple of years ago that I enjoyed. Anyway, sorry. Sorry for intervening again. I love the
1: entertainment side. I don't want factual shit. I want glitz, glamour, fashion, fame, and fun. Okay? And if that's what Ryan Murphy's given to me, I'm, I'm eating it up with a knife and fork. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, speaking of eating it up with a knife and fork... I was like, what do I actually, what what culture, what entertainment do I watch? I, I find myself being in a very meditative, joyous state, watching the Food Network, whatever programs they put on, they have Nigella, they have the Hairy Bikers, they have Jamie, they have like just gorgeous, uh, the, the Barefoot Contessa, just like sitting there watching them make food is so delicious, <laughs> literally. Um so, yeah, I would I would definitely say go and give the Food Network a go. Siestas, I just thought it was really important to highlight the fact that when it's hot, we should sleep because it makes sense not to be awake at the torturous time of the day when it's sweating. And then finally, uh, so Emma are opening up their new exhibition on the 30th, which is in, uh, next week, and it's called The Narrow Gate of Here and Now, 30 Years of the Global Contemporary. Chapter 1, Queer Embodiment. Um, it's talking about a lot of protest, women's rights, uh, queer stories, and as part of that, Maser, uh put up his repeal mural um, as part of it that you can go and see um, in the exhibition. So we were in there uh, popping it up and got to see uh, the Exhibition, When I say exhibition one more time? Uh, being put up and it was so nice to be, see art happening and going up and exhibitions coming open and la la la. So go and see that. For real.
0: Um, so my fave bits are, uh, so I did a little like snack tour for myself the other day on my bike. um, And some of the places that I went to, I'm going to share with you now. Everybody knows <laughs> about them but I'm just going to share with you the things that I like. I love the margarita hatch at 777. Woo! Delicious. Also, they do very good palomas. Um, I don't
1: know grapefruit. I'm going to do this to all your favourites. <laughs> <laughs> no, grapefruit kind of hits the back of my throat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, the Los Chicanas taco truck on Camden Row in Dublin uh, down the back of Wheelands. I had a nice taco down there
1: chocos are nice but like andrea
0: any <laughs> yeah, right, chicken <laughs> 3FE do i ha- i don't like using the term soft serve ice cream okay it it's a, it's a not, it's an ice cream it's a 99 or whatever but for the purpose of this next item i will use this term okay so 3FE do an espresso soft serve ice cream it is very delicious i would recommend it um I did other things there. Oh yeah, well, I got a, the Ban me from Maggie's on the on Austin Key in Dublin. Um, yeah, there's just some nice little snacks. the Hong Kong bakery on Eden Key at the moment. they do very good uh, egg tarts. Really? So yeah, so those are just some little uh, snack vibes,
1: yes. Can I just interject with I went to the cinema and got Cherry Garcia from Ben and Jerry's, and it's the only you can only get it in one cinema in the whole of like Dublin and why they don't serve it in tubs and why they don't allow me to purchase anything apart from vanilla or strawberry or vanilla with a bit of caramel or a bit vanilla with a bit of chocolate in this country when I go to buy ice cream drives me insane so maybe I'll put that in but it's bananas but also it's cherry so delicious
0: thank you for that um, my, one of my other favourite things uh, The Land for the People The Sexual Case for Land Reform in Ireland is a workbook by uh, Emer Walsh um, which is for sale in a bunch of different places around the country. It is very smart and funny and insightful and uh, engaging and I would recommend it. Um, I'm delighted that Philly McMahon's new play is going to reopen the gate. Go to the gate to get EASR tickets. Okay, so I thought I saw sparrowhawks in the Phoenix Park. I was there at the Phoenix Park uh, watching the sunset on Magazine Fort and then these like two giant birds flew over and were like clearly hunting. It was like just after sunset. So I recorded the sound of them that they were making and then I kind of was searching, trying to match the sound, the bird call uh, and I thought it was sparrow hawks. But I have subsequently been informed that is... Possibly long-eared owls. Um, so, whether it's sparrowhawks or long-eared owls, I just love giant nature, nature and and birds <laughs> flying around the place. So I'm going to go back tonight. I'm going to see if I can see them again, and I will report back on the sparrowhawks versus owl. Um, With we bated breath. <laughs> well, you, yes. Well, <laughs> yes. I'm I'm excited about it. Um. I've mentioned this before in the Fave Bits, but the Saint Sister album, Where Should I End? It's just so good. Like, it's so good. If you haven't listened to it yet, listen to it. Uh, Any Dreams, the last track is my favorite one on, at the moment. But that changes a lot. But I, I really, really love that song. And I also love the way there's a track four called House Nine, which is this amazing harp solo kind of goes into it. And then it goes into this almost LCD type electronic um uh, piece that, you know, this kind of repetitious piece. And you're like, wow, this is just so, I mean, it just says so much about trad music going into electronic music. And anyway, brilliant, fab. I watched all of This Way Up, Ashling B's uh, show, the second series of it. it so good. Just a different, she's just doing different kind of stuff. She's making different kind of television. The form is different. The structure is different. Sharon Horgan is is acting her face off in it she's brilliant and it's just very rich and interesting and I'm so glad that um, this television is being made and that it's out there and that it, it and it's just not conventional but but not like off-puttingly so it's just so good and uh, Ashling's just a boss and uh, so yeah fair play to her got five star review in The Guardian you, you can watch it on the Channel 4 online the 4OD or whatever um, the episodes are only like 25 minutes long with six episodes um, I spoke to her about it recently for an interview for the Times and it was a really really hard process making this show in you know essentially the middle of lockdown so I think that you know people are, are saying that it's great it must be very heartening because I think it was very difficult um, The Witness is a podcast that I've been listening to um, remember we had Nicola Talent on and she was talking about the book that she wrote by yeah. Joey the Lips, so the, the the podcast is about his life and experience and kind of descent into crime. He was in the witness protection program. He was essentially groomed by a criminal gang uh, to enter into drug dealing and so on. And uh, it's just a series of interviews, and and it's just so it's so well made, well done to the people who made it. I think the Emily was involved in making it and really. Just paints this picture of of this person's life and and, and how it progressed, um, and also very evocative of Dublin at a particular time. Um, yeah, I'd really recommend it. It's dark, like, but it's it's really really interesting and uh, a different. Again, just playing with form a bit, like it's just this person talking essentially. There's very few interventions in it, so it's really good. Um, if you fancy a little exhibition, the dark room in Dublin Seven. Uh, Dorje de has uh, is a photographer has a piece on there at the moment which I really enjoyed a video piece and other photographs very atmospheric uh, there's also the Martin Parr if you're in Dublin the Martin Parr exhibition uh, in the gal- uh, the gallery of photography not the gallery of photography is it? it is gallery of photography in Meeting High Square Um Ireland is on at the moment yeah so my, what's the anyway yeah so uh, Martin Parr's exhibition uh, uh, and meeting House Square is really good. Uh, I probably mentioned the Richard Moss exhibition in the Butler Gallery in Kilkenny as well is wild. Um, another round is a fun Danish, dark Danish comedy I saw in the cinema. Went back to the cinema. It's basically about these guys who um, who sorry, try and stay drunk. Yes, Andrea, to interrupt, I forgot when we spoke of the cinema
1: i went to see fast and furious man without me i i'm sorry i did andrea i know i went i waiting to see it you haven't oh my even god. gone don't worry i'll go again it's <laughs> outrageously bad in a brilliant way oh my god it's it's so gas like okay
0: well can we go again can we go can we go it'll be hanging around in cinema for a while won't it I
1: hope so because we can get some Cherry Garcia and watch it and
0: oh have heaven um, so yeah another round uh, I saw it in the lighthouse um, yeah enjoyed that film good to be back in the cinema kind of weird as well I wore my mask all the way through my, any, everyone else wasn't I don't know I don't fucking know what you're meant to be doing anymore um, live art in a theatre space I went to see uh, Annie's The Secret Space a Project Art Centre uh, you can go until uh, July 31st in Temple Bar in Dublin. It's a five euro ticket, I think, and it's like a half hour slot. It was so amazing to be plunged into a very visually impressive, uh, you know, almost ecclesiastic space again and uh, enjoy something happening around you in, in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and my final fave bit, and you. <laughs> continue to inspire me Andrea I'm not just saying this but the fact that Tropical Popical decided that from now on you're closing on a Sunday so that your staff can enjoy a good Saturday night and chill out on Sunday is fantastic and I think you deserve props for that uh, about how businesses should be run with a view to uh, how what people desire who are working in them Um. Do you want to expand on that choice at all or just leave it there? Uh, well, the
1: girls like to get litty-titty. I, I I actually am debasing it. It's not just that, but they do. And they like to go out together. And um, if we've learned anything from the time, like we used to, it started as this little trip to Italy when everyone would be out on a Sunday and having like the best family time with all their like umbrellas and cooler boxes of food and like it was the babies the grannies eh, the whole family there and then I was like okay we'll do that on Monday so everyone can have the like days off and like obviously everyone got their days off but then it's like why would we not let people go out on a Saturday night and not have to come to work Uh, because some people would have to go off and then they couldn't all go together so anyway it was like look let's make a happy life for
0: everyone so we do so no more Sundays no more Sundays amazing love that well done Um, okay and now it's time for book of the week My book of the week this week is called Gay Bar: Why We Went Out by Jeremy Atherton Lynn, and it's kind of a memoir and a journey through many gay bars, what they mean, what they're like, uh, the vibe of these spaces, and this the author kind of traversing them and and his life going on and various things unfolding. Um, it's another. It's it's definitely a good book to read to remind yourself of as the title suggests, why we went out. And can be a little bit sad when you're going to realise what you're missing, but it's really well written and I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm about halfway through it at the moment. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely one uh, to pick up if you are missing gay bars or other bars. I don't know. I mean, apparently there are other bars, I hear. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, uh, be- beautiful book. Really interestingly... Um and Conor Bean actually I put it on my my Instagram and Connor Bean commented saying, Yeah, yeah, the difference between the US cover and the UK cover. And yeah, there's like the US cover is this like beautiful, sexy photo of, of these men kind of kissing. You can just kind of see their backs, and then the UK cover is more like da-da glitter. Um and it's like, yeah, why book covers can really like sell or skew the content of it because it is it is more akin to that kind of sweaty, sexy, literary vibe. So if that's what you're into, go for that. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack, and I love his new hair and moustache. Sarah Fox did all of our design. Andrea The tuna chicken roll. It's a very much
1: slower uh, tuna this week, but because I feel it suits the weather, and it's very tropical. It reminds me of being. Uh, I feel like it was pl- like it should be the soundtrack of cocktail. The remember that film? Mm, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, uh, and it because it's kind of like when they're in the are they in the Bahamas and that, and it's all very like tropical music. And it is Boris Gardner. I want to wake up with you. I've been a Malali. And I've been Andrea Horan. <laughs> and this has been United Ireland. And that was Data Centres. Bleep bloop.
3: I want to wake up with you. I want to be there when you open your eyes. I want you to be the first thing that I see. I want to wake up wanna lay by your side, baby I wanna feel every beat of your heart And throughout the night I wanna hold you tight I wanna wake up with you All the love inside me has been sleeping Waiting till the right one came along You can share the love that I've been keeping, baby You can put the music to my song I wanna wake up with you I wanna reach out and know that you're there. I want you to be the first thing that I see I want to wake up with you Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. And throughout the night I want to hold you I want to wake up with you All the love inside me has been sleeping Wait until the right one came along You can share the love that I've been keeping You can put the music to my song to wake up with you. I want to reach out and know that you're there. I want you to be the first thing that I see. I want to wake up with you. I want to lay by. I wanna feel every beat of your heart And throughout the night I wanna hold you tight I wanna wake up with you All the love inside me has been sleeping Waiting till the right one came along can share the love that I've been keeping, baby You can put the music to my song I want to wake up with you I want to reach out and know that you're there I want you to be the first thing that I see